a charitable giving into their business. So immediately, that gives me a feeling of trust that their values, rightly or wrongly, by the way, as it, the, the feeling gave me was a feeling of trust that they have more values than just making money. And ironically, that definitely gave me more trust in them as a commercial partner. Hey folks, this is Michael Vizi from Amazing FBA Podcast for Amazon Sellers. I'd like to introduce an episode from our sister podcast, The E-Commerce Leader, which has got a slightly broader remit for all e-commerce sellers. In this deep dive episode, Jason Miles and I deep dive into a key e-commerce topic. Hope you enjoy the show. Is your Amazon private label business set to survive the downturn? Most sellers don't know. Surviving a downturn means squeezing out more profits and slashing waste. But many sellers don't know exactly where their business is making or losing money. If that's you, we can help. Our new quick assessment helps you identify your biggest Amazon profit killer and what to do about it. For a quick but powerful diagnosis of your biggest issue, just go to amazonprofitquiz.com. That's Amazon Profit quiz.com to get your free instant analysis if you would like resources and links and other help to do with today's episode just go to amazingfba.com forward slash 389 adding charitable giving to your e-commerce work really can help change the world strengthen your brand and even increase sales but there are challenges and cautionary tales to tell as well in this episode We're going to discuss my charity so powerful as well as other charitable models and walk you through how to set up totally integrated giving into your e-commerce work. Let's jump into it. Michael, are you ready to talk about the topic? I like it. And totally integrated giving. So that's a fantastic, it's sort of very positive American business phrase. I love that. I'm very excited by this idea of, as we discuss a bit, I've always wanted to give to charity. I want to be both in a position to give, as in have since bare wealth, and I want to give. I believe that old French phrase, noblesse oblige, having some privilege obliges you to give. And relative to the rest of the world, I feel relatively privileged. So it's a great thing, but it's the practical side of it. It's not something I've ever integrated into my business. So what are your general thoughts? And of course, I really want to know about your so powerful charity, how that came about, and above all, how that is integrated into your e-commerce business. Sure. Yeah. So near and dear topic to my heart. I started in the charitable space for 20 years. I was a human resources guy and then a fundraiser for World Vision, which is one of the largest charities in the United States, and then worked for a university for four years as well. Yeah. So powerful really was a personal effort. My wife and I had a connection to a lady in Zambia that we felt really convicted about helping. Yeah, we really felt a very strong connection to a lady in Lusaka, Zambia. And my wife and I felt like we should just start doing something to give back and help her and a group of ladies there who were trying to raise money for a school they wanted to build. And this lady was, in essence, a connection of from a friend of a friend. We knew how to verify that she was a legit person and really ethical and really well-loved in her community. And so we started doing little projects with our eBay work called, we call it Liberty Jane Gives Back. And we would just do a charity auction, basically like on eBay. And we would raise three, four, five hundred $500 at a time and help the ladies there in Lusaka on their projects or trying to raise money. They were making costume jewelry when we first met them and trying to sell it locally. And then over time, it evolved into a sewing cooperative where they make money to sew. Now we have... And this is 10 years ago now, but we have a soap cooperative. We have people making soap and they're paid to make soap. 
and uh, we have a farm, a 10 acre farm. People work on the farm to raise food and we do all of those things and we call them purposeful products. We make school uniforms, reusable feminine hygiene pad product, soap and farm fresh food. Those are our purposeful products and they help the communities in many communities. Now, I think we'll be in 60 schools this year. We'll be helping with our primary program, which is a called the So Powerful Purse. It's uh, filled with soap, underwear, and reusable feminine hygiene pad product. And it's given to girls in health class. And uh, so that's our integration. Obviously, our primary e-commerce business is Pixie Fair, a sewing-focused e-commerce business. And So Powerful, obviously, as you can get the idea there, it's really connected in many ways to our core audience's interest and passion and enthusiasm. So for us, it was really an extension of our e-commerce work in a way from the very beginning. And we've just grown them in, in what's technically called a parallel structure. But uh, yeah, that's the work. Wow. I think what's really cool about it is that it's obviously something you feel personally about, but you've managed to integrate it in a way that makes sense of your brand as well. It's not a weird add-on or in conflict. It grows naturally out of who you are and what you do. And I guess that's the business grew naturally out of, I know, particularly your, your wife, Cinnamon's passion. So that feels very organic to me. It's interesting. Really clever. I'd love to hear the British take on all of this as well. What is the way in which Brits approach this topic, charitable giving? And what have you seen in, in your side of things in terms of how this operates? In particular, how businesses or e-commerce companies might begin to or think about integrating these ideas. Is there any of that in the UK there is commonly popping up now in the US? I wouldn't say it's traditionally such a big part of British business culture. So thinking about the just zooming out to the biggest picture where charity sits in the sort of political and economic landscape of the UK is a bit different than the US. For example, that the health service is supposed to be universal here, although obviously it has many flaws like anywhere. And I guess in the US, it's a famous topic that keeps getting covered, but there is perhaps more need for charity, but there is also more of a willingness to be doing it at a big scale in the US, I think, than the UK. But having said that, obviously, British culture and particularly business culture has been very Americanized since for the last few decades and ever more so, I would say. So there are some famous entrepreneurs that have charitable kind of angles here. One famously, Anissa Roddick, who, if I've got the name right, Roderick, she's, she died a while ago, but she founded the Body Shop in the 70s. And was, it's more about ethical than charitable, but there was a sort of element of wanting to look after the planet a bit better than most businesses had. I know Richard Branson has had various sort of tie-ups with charities. What we don't tend to have is the big expectation here that somebody like uh, Bill Gates or maybe even now Warren Buffett will set up a massive charitable foundation or people like Carnegie. The philanthropists here tend to be wealthy individuals. Um, or there's a big tie-up with royalty. So the vibe here is more about people who've the noblesse oblige quote that I mentioned. So people who are, are very privileged feeling they should give back as a social obligation, as opposed to a feeling that successful corporates should give back as part of their corporate mission. So for me, there's a bit of a cultural difference there. So there's some very famous charities being started, of course, Salvation Army, you've mentioned very much part of their Christian mission, as I understand it. So that's built into their DNA. They're sort of, when it was 19th century, very nonconformist Christian faith denominations that very much felt it was a part of their mission to have social action. Another one that's famous is Oxfam, which is started, I believe, in the 1940s in Oxford, of course, in England, and to help relieve famine in Africa. So they're the famous ones. So it's random thoughts. 
The interesting tie-in to me for royalty is, I guess, it obviously different than the U.S. And I, so I suppose people like Carnegie, Rockefeller, Bill Gates now, the, these people have become astronomically wealthy, higher values, I suppose, or wealth amounts than British royalty even. I mean, it, it, their funds it would rival the most royal of royalist families, whatever you want to call it, the biggest estates or whatever. But they don't have that sense of we're landholders, our children's children will be the Duke of whatever it needs an endowment. There's none of that. So people in the U.S., I think, just immediately turn to a sense of duty almost to return the funds to the good of the people. And I think that's what Gates has expressed. He's here locally in Seattle. And so their foundation is, it's going to receive, I think he said 99% of all his wealth, plus Warren Buffett's money is all going to Gates Foundation. Now, it's interesting. I think they have an obligation to give away like $5 billion a year or $6 billion a year right now. And that's just minimum legal requirement. So it's just astronomical amounts of money. But that's, I guess to me, that's out there as a concept. I always like to personalize it and ask the question, what could we do? Because just the or what could an ordinary person do? And, and should we? And do we care? And many people uh, candidly are so busy with their own lives, they don't have time to care. They're just like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. But many people have an uh, inclination like you express. I want to do this. I, I, how do you do this? And so let's dive into a little bit of that, like how to and that kind of thing, I think would be a fun topic. Absolutely. The first thing I was going to ask is we've talked about the sort of general culture and who does it. What are the sort of more practical business models or even sort of legal vehicles that you would use in the US to run a charity? The common charitable organizational structure in the US is a legal entity called a 501c3. And there are other 501c4s and 6s, depending on if you're a fundraiser for politics or you're a school or that kind of thing. But the common charitable organizational structure is a 501c3 legal entity. And it gets IRS tax giving status. You can write off gifts in your taxes to charities that are 501c3. Nice. And so there's governmental encouragement, if you will, in that regard. That's the most common form of just starting a charity. It's so powerful set up as a 501c3. But there are other things that business owners can do. Like I mentioned the phrase parallel structure. So what we legally have under our control is a 501c3 that my wife and I are trustees of with another board member. And then we have a board that isn't in essence legally there, but in for leadership management, we have a board that's quite a few people that shapes the vision and mission of the organization. But then we also have an LLC and our private business. And uh, so those two things we run in tandem in parallel, and we try to use the LLC to give as much as possible in support of the charity. For example, the facility costs, staffing costs, all those kinds of things. We take ex expenses in the LLC deliberately so that there's not overhead in the charity. And so that's the way we use them. But a lot of other companies will do the classic is to do a corporate foundation, a charitable foundation. Like Google has a Google foundation. We're recipients of gifts from Google Foundation. Actually, it'd be interesting to mention that detail in a, uh, maybe in a subsequent part of this conversation. But a charitable foundation is common. And then, well, a lot of companies can just do pro bono work, if you will. They can just be in a, almost like an affiliate, if you will, for a charity. Just weave it into or your work in interesting ways. 
the buy one, give one model is the most popularized version of that. Many e-commerce sellers, I've talked to many of them who have said, okay, how do you do a buy one, give one charitable integration? Why would you do that? Is there value in doing that? Those are the most common ways in which you might be legally structured. Excellent. So I guess in the UK, we have some sort of equivalents and some things that are different. The two, just to give the bigger picture, the two main legal entities for a commercial entity would be either a sole trader. So it might be Michael Vizi selling Michael's cakes and it's a doing business ad or as or trading as, as we call it here, or a limited company limited by shares. There's a very similar thing, which is the other charity structures, what's called a charitable company. So company limited by guarantee. There is a thing called a charitable incorporated organization, which is a bit similar. So I don't know much about it. It's not very tried and tested, or you could be unincorporated or a trust, which is very legally complicated. So it's quite similar structures in some ways. I think probably less kind of fewer options than you get in America somehow, but it's quite a similar thing, really. Another option that I forgot to mention is this new thing. And maybe I don't know if that last one you mentioned that you were, that was a charitable structured organization was uh, there's something in the U.S. that's really a movement called the B Corporation. And it's actually, the idea is it's for benefit companies. And and the, this is the tension. It was thinking that this is work that was probably 10 or 15 years old now. The idea was if you set up a company and you're really trying to change the planet, you're really trying to do good, help the earth or help people, you have a tension there because you have investors or shareholders. And if those people have given you money, they want money. They want a return on the investment. They don't want you to clean up the ocean. They want you to give them $3 for every share, every quarter or whatever. And so there was a tension there. And so they set up this legal entity called a B Corporation where you can have both. You basically set it up as a B Corporation. And so that your shareholders or people who give you money, they know that the mission is not to return funds to the investor. It's to fulfill the charitable good but the, that's in the founding documents. It's an interesting twist. And, uh, and I'm not sure it'll be ever be that popular. I'm not sure it's ever going to take off and be the thing to do. But there's definitely the trend towards companies trying to be ethical. You mentioned uh, Body Shop, is it? Yeah. Or Bed Bath & Beyond, Body Shop. The Body Shop, yeah. And it's probably quite a few now. I and mean, I think if I read, say, The Economist, for example, which is not a business magazine so much as an economics magazine, but is... There's a bit more of a tendency amongst CEOs to have to think about, I suppose, the wider stakeholders or the impact that the company's having on the planet. Again, if you really dig beneath the surface, it's probably driven by fear of legislation, which is not necessarily a terrible thing. But I think it's more of a topic of conversation in boardrooms than it used to be. Yeah. So I think it's less of a add-on extra, the idea of ethics and giving back than it used to be. Although... I have to say in the UK, we don't have an equivalent of the B Corporation. But as you said, there is an intrinsic tension there. So in Britain, you could actually have a, a commercially viable shares as in limited company, which in practice people would buy because they believe in it. Bought some shares in Organic Farm back in the 80s when that was just earlier than most people were going to adopt it, which didn't do very well. And she didn't think it was going to do very well, but that was more or less a charitable investment. And then equally... There are private schools in the UK, Eton, where they've had several prime ministers come from it, which are technically charities, which I don't think most of us would see as a charitable endeavor because none of them are poor. In fact, you have to pay probably 50,000 bucks a year to go there now. So there's some weird sort of tensions in other ways in the UK. But anyway, that's part of the wider picture. You mentioned the idea of doing it for your own benefit in a way, and there's this kind of tension. There is dynamic of 
corporate responsibility and trying to answer the question, is customer base going to be happy by us doing this? And is ultimately, is it benefiting us to be charitable? There's always a tension there. And I think it's important to think through. There are things that you can do wisely, like ethical sourcing, impact hiring. There are these ideas that people can do that are really honestly really helpful and good ideas with literally no selfish intent. If you would like resources and links and other help to do with today's episode, just go to amazingfba.com forward slash 389. And then there are things that you can do that are really helpful to you. And that's the where you can get a, a real cross purposes going, where you start to set up charitable efforts purely as a marketing gimmick, purely as a sales tactic. And, uh, and I think that's obviously where people go off the rails and there can be problems and cautionary tales that we talked about. Hey, pop quiz for you. What's the oldest charity in the United Kingdom? Do you know? I have absolutely no idea. Uh, I Googled it. It is a thing called the King's School Canterbury, started in 1597. That is a long time. Have you ever heard of it? Do you know what it is? I haven't, although there's quite a few schools called the King's School started around that kind of era, actually, before the UK existed. So the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland used to be England and then at war with Scotland. And, and so, yeah, it was England at that point. So it predates the existence of the United Kingdom by a couple of hundred years or maybe a hundred years. There you go. That is a long time ago for people to be setting up a charitable giving situation. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I wouldn't say charity is a new thing in the UK. It's very established, but the link with the royalty is again there, right? Even in even these days, as I said, Eton, that's another one of the what's so-called public schools, which is if you dig hard enough that it is given some kind of license or something by royalty two or three, four hundred years ago. Um, so bringing it down to more sort of school everyday scale than the Bill Gates Foundation or some ridiculously elite private schools, which we call public schools just to mess with Americans' heads. I believe that you and I share a first charity experience. So tell me about that one. My first charity experience I mentioned to you, and uh, yeah, we do have it in common, was a program called Meals on Wheels. And uh, it's basically a food delivery service for elderly shut-ins. And the phrase Meals on Wheels was actually from World War II in the Blitz in London, where people would drive around and deliver meals to people that were shut in. And then I believe it was a U.S. lady who co-opted the phrase as she began the formal charity. But the idea is to deliver food. So when I was four years old, my mom, I have an older brother who's two years older, an older brother who's four years older than an older sister who's six years older. So when I was four, all of them were in school all day. And I remember vividly that year, my mom just took me everywhere with her and ran around and did stuff. And one of the things she did was deliver food for Meals on Wheels. And it's a vivid memory in my mind, going to a house and being in the car before we walked in. And my mom said something to me along the effect of just smile and be nice to these people and say something nice or be, just encourage me to engage with the people. And so I remember vividly walking into this house and the smell of the house was just something I had never encountered before. I don't know why this is such a striking memory in my mind, but I remember the smell of it. And I remember 
little, they had little poodles or little house dogs yapping really loud. And I remember there was, this is gross, but there was dog poo on the floor uh, of the house. And I remember walking by it and I was like, oh my Lord. What is and then I remember the people, they were, they were on couches and on in beds. And my mom chatted with them and I just was there to smile and be nice to them. And I remember them engaging with me. And then we left. And I always remember that memory. It was like, I was four years old. And I give my mom huge props for, for that. It's a strong, strong memory in my mind. And, uh, and that's my Meals on Wheels experience. I don't know. What's, I didn't hear your Meals on Wheels experience. What is it? Mine was considerably less dramatic. I mean, when I was, I don't know, probably seven, eight, nine years old, I used to go and stay with my grandparents occasionally for a few days or something, which is really nice. I enjoyed it. They used to, my grandmother's a very good cook and they used to do this Meals on Wheels thing. So I never actually went out with them, but I used to just see my grandfather would get into their car and drive off with, with some meal that my grandmother just cooked. And I didn't even know what it was or why they did it. And they just mentioned it. And it seemed very low key. It seemed like a, not a big deal to them. It was just something they did as part of their routine. They were retired by this point. So they had the time. But it, yeah, so it was much less dramatic than your experience. But it's funny that I didn't even know there was an American sort of equivalent. But it's a very low key everyday thing. And that's what attracts me to the idea of doing this stuff um, as part of your business is that business is an everyday thing. It has to work every day or we don't get enough food to eat and pay our shareholders or whatever we have. And I like the idea that as part of the everyday, we just give back every day. And so for me, I'd love to think about how do we get into getting to success in this area? Let's bring it home in a practical way for e-commerce entrepreneurs. What are the tips for getting actual success here? I think it starts with your personal passion and or a vision for making a difference. And maybe your employees have that passion. Maybe you have a personal passion and finding a topic that you can really resonate with. And there are many good topics around the world. There's no shortage of really legitimate, meaningful topics to spend some portion of your time and energy on. And so you have to decide what that is. Maybe it's providing clean water. Maybe it's food for the hungry. Maybe it's environmental issues. Maybe it's horrible things like slavery that still occurs in the world or sex trafficking. Maybe it's homeless people in your community, but you've got to find that. And so I think that's where it starts. The other thing I've seen people do is you can find something that you know will really resonate with your customer base. And that's sort of self-serving in a way because you're doing it so you can market the fact that you're doing something that you know your customers will love. But there's still huge value in that. And we've tried to do that with the sewing industry topic. We started our charity in tandem with our e-commerce work. And so we knew we were baking it together. And we don't try to sell things on the e-commerce side on the back of some kind of charity appeal or anything very often. Sometimes we'll do like a, hey, this t-shirt is going, all the proceeds go to fund. But it's more just about who we are and who we believe our customers are. And I would say the other way in which you could get into this is serendipity, you might call it. What is the universe brought to you or what has God brought to you that actually you could make a difference in? And you might be uniquely positioned to actually make a difference in something. Maybe you've got an office downtown and there's a charity that really struggles right next door and you could help them with their e-commerce stuff or, mar or marketing stuff, social media or whatever. It could be really pragmatic stuff like that. So I think that's a place I would suggest people start. I don't know what your thoughts on those ideas. Anything else stand out to you? Yeah, obviously you're the person with the experience. So I would say 
for me, it's more the outsider experience as a consumer and a business partner, if you like, or as an affiliate. There was a commercial business, which I won't name because we're not affiliated anymore. We didn't fall out or anything. They just shut down their affiliate program to focus on in-house marketing. But these trainers, uh, you know what? I'm going to give them a shout out because I think they deserve it for their work. It's called Reliable Education. And they do a lot of Amazon training. And Adam Hudson's the guy who runs it. And they have a, a small part of the charitable giving. And they, I believe, give micro loans in, so he's based in Australia, and they give micro loans somewhere in the Philippines or somewhere in that part of the world, Southeast Asia, to entrepreneurs who are in very challenging situations, have very little money, but have that entrepreneurial spark. And I think the thing about that's really struck me quite hard is, number one, that in the Amazon and digital marketing space, I have never, ever, apart from this person, come across somebody else who has built a charitable giving into their business. So immediately... That gives me a feeling of trust that their values, rightly or wrongly, by the way, as it, the, the feeling it gave me was a feeling of trust that they have more values than just making money. And ironically, that definitely gave me more trust in them as a commercial partner. And the second thing is there's a great alignment, of course, between their mission of creating new entrepreneurs who are maybe wanting to give the day job up, but have basically a reasonable life compared to people in the developing world and very much giving that kind of opportunity on a small scale to people in the developing countries. And so I really like that. And it really has stuck with me. And I remember that vividly, even though it's probably not a big part of their marketing for most people, for those for whom it resonates, like me, it's really stuck in my mind and it's a differentiator as well. So there's a lot of powerful good that's come out of their brand for that, I think. But the last thing I would say is that I get the feeling he does actually care about it. And it's not just a marketing spin. Otherwise, it wouldn't be so good. So there's an interesting example there. I think it is interesting that it does unlock an additional point of trust, potentially. And I think I described it one time in a, when I was sharing these ideas, I described it like a, your brand is like a diamond and adding charitable intent is like putting a facet on the diamond. It's like, it gives you as a brand marketer, another angle to bond or hook into people with like people can uh, attach themselves to your brand because of your charitable intent in a unique way. Now that can be manipulated. As I mentioned, that can be selfishly done, but if it's done ethically and it's done rightly, you really can find people who bond with you who they'll just say, I love what you're doing in environmental issues, or I love what you're doing with the homeless topic. They won't even say, I love your product. They'll say, I love what you're doing with that issue. And so I think there's an element there. I love these practical examples of how to weave in charitable intent. You've got a good one from your orchestra conducting efforts, I would love for you to mention as well. This is fairly random. This isn't a very e-commerce business, but I guess it's in a sense, when you have any kind of platform, in my case, literally, then you can influence things almost without trying that hard. So I, I was on the way to conduct a concert in November. So I do that sort of evenings and weekends as a sort of paid hobby these days. And back in November, when these things were possible, before COVID hit everything, and I was waiting for a train and some advert came up. So the power of advertising for crisis and they are a, a homeless charity. And it said something like 2% of the London population is homeless. So I did a quick bit of maths. I thought that's 50,000 people. That is just insane. And that really stuck in my head. Then I went to the rehearsal and did the rehearsal. And then I did was about to go on to do the performance. And somebody said, oh, our charity connection this evening, the chairman of the committee said, is crisis. And I said, oh, wow, interesting. And told them this statistic. And then I was standing on the podium and I, you know, we'd conducted a load of Christmas carols and stuff. And then 
they, and they said, oh, so it's my time to talk to you about today's uh, collection. And then I just gave them A, the statistic that I'd learned and B, my personal reaction, which I said, this is absolutely insane. And I find this very hard to believe. So anyway, do dig deep. And apparently you know, didn't have a huge number of people there, a couple of hundred people, but they got the biggest collection they'd, they'd had for a while. So I guess because the message was very simple, very honest, it was a number, it was a fact, but a well-chosen fact. Um, for me, it personally just is shocking because it resonates with me. Somebody else would just not notice it. And I happened by coincidence to be in front of a bunch of people and had an opportunity to talk about it and had been asked to, I wasn't abusing the situation. Yeah. And actually uh, a lot of people at charities pop up and concerts and ask for these things. And a lot of them do a very bad job because they drone on and on instead of hitting them with a fact. So I think having a marketing chops does help charities. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. It's a great example. And obviously Christmas time is a great time for charitable giving as well. But yeah, these are the things that I love. Just a practical, how do we do it? How do we help a good organization with our business expertise? And so to me, that's, that's the powerful part. And um, there, there's a lot of ways to do that. So that's the end of today's episode on the charitable giving piece. I hope you enjoyed it. Obviously, Jason has a lot to share on this and I've really enjoyed hearing about it. If that's something that interests you, then our next episode, we are going to be talking about a couple of practical things of how you can give to charity, including cash, gifts in kind, various other things, and a couple of cautionary tales, as well as some just practical ideas of how to get started. What are the next steps as ever? So do stay tuned. If you would like resources and links and other help to do with today's episode, just go to amazingfba.com forward slash 389. Thanks for listening to the 10K Collective podcast for six and seven figure Amazon sellers. I really hope you found the show helpful to you. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please do leave us a quick star rating. It will take you all of 30 seconds to do it, but it does mean we can be found by and help many more e-commerce business builders. I wish you fast and profitable scaling, and I hope you enjoy the process of building your seven-figure Amazon business. Thanks very much for listening.